Oh my God, the trash candy this week, Alicia. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. We have a buffet full of, we've been cooking in the kitchen. The heat has been on. Yup, yup. Cooking the trash candy for this very festive Thanksgiving week episode. We brought the fire. This is all, it's all fire signs. It is all fire signs. You have the trashy divorce of? An Aries and a Sag. We'll say no more. I've got a Leo and a Sag, but even laced through it all, it's just fire sign explosion. This week, it is the trashy divorces of Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger, Melanie Griffith, Don Johnson. It's really like 80s, 90s Fantasia this week, Um, but these are significantly trashy, uh, very funny in a lot of ways. Uh, Mine got married and divorced twice. These stories have everything. Yep. And yes, I know the heat is on is from Beverly Hills Cop, but y'all, these stories do not get any hotter. Speaking of hot, hey, Patreon this week, Trastrology dropped. Hey, Trastrology dropped. Fire signs, Sagittarius dropped this week. What else happened on Patreon? Ooh, Trashy Politics. Yeah, I covered Jim Jordan, the jacketless wonder. Of the impeachment inquiries. Jacket, man. He's really gross. He was so much worse than I knew, which I say all the time with this project. So on Side Piece this mm, week, you had a good I one. Covered, yeah, it was good. Diana Ross and Barry Gordy and their love affair. It's hard to determine who was the side piece in that one. True story. Oh, Prince Trashy Andrew. Tidbits. Prince yeah. Andrew got yeah. grounded. Grounded by mom. It's the truth. I think we have uh, we have some magic mirror shout outs to give for our new patrons over on patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Yes. Thanks, y'all, for joining us over there. We are so thankful and grateful. Big shout out to Jessica L., Heather, Allison P., Lola, Kesha N., Rochelle E., Adria R., Peggy C., Teresa B., Abby Y., Amanda R., Megan K., Aaron Rianne, Rianne, W, and Sarah P. Thanks, Mm -hmm. y'all, for joining us over there. We hope you are having a delightful time. Yeah. Okay. Unbutton your pants. Get ready. Yeah. To make room. For your trip to Fancoma of trash candy. Trash candy. You ready? Let's go. Go, go. So I this is another one of those stories where I like both of the people involved, but boy, oh boy, did Kim Basinger and Alec Baldwin have a trashy divorce and post-divorce. They are kind of why this podcast exists. I am so excited. Let's do this. Not going to lie at all. Boom. Trash Go. pile. Okay. Okay, let's do it. So we'll start with Kim. Okay. Because she is the elder of the two, as really? I like to do. Interesting. Okay. Cougar town. Okay. <laughs> Camilla Ann Basinger was born in Athens, Georgia on December 8th, 1953. She is a Sagittarius. Ah. I believe. Happy birthday, Sages. Her family had some showbiz pedigree. Her father had stormed the beach at Normandy, but when he wasn't doing that, he was a big band leader. Really? Yeah, he went into banking, but yeah, he had some, he had some, uh. Well, some heroism and some Soldier, showmanship. band leader, banker. That's a mm-hmm. renaissance man right there. Yep. Her mom had been a model and an actress and had appeared in some Esther Williams films. Oh. There were five kids total. She was number three in birth order. I suspect birth order is something you have a lot of feelings about. 
Uh, as a teenager, Kim won the Athens Junior Miss Pageant. And while she did not win the state pageant, she was offered a contract with the Ford Modeling Agency oh, wow. in New York City. The greatest city in the world. So apparently Kim has never enjoyed modeling and she found the emphasis on her looks just like overpowering and really hurtful. She doesn't like mirrors. So modeling was an odd career choice for her. Huh. We've got so many weird little through lines. I love this story. Go. Okay. All right. So she like she kind of hemmed and hawed, went to UGA, I think UGA. She went to college for a minute and then was like, "Eh, I guess I need to go to New York and model." So off she goes. She's making a thousand dollars a day. It is like nineteen seventy two. That's some good nineteen seventy two money. She hates it. Oh, hates it. So she spends her spare time up there in acting classes and performing in Greenwich Village clubs as a singer. Huh. But she had really high. Pro- she was the Breck shampoo girl. She had really high profile modeling gigs. It was a living. Okay. It just drove her up the wall. Huh. By nineteen seventy six, she was well and truly tired of it. And she wanted some new challenges. So she heads to Los Angeles. She is 22 or 23. She's a successful model. And been the Brett girl. Mm Mm-hmm. So she gets to Hollywood and Hollywood's like, hey, you're beautiful and know how to stand in front of cameras. Can we put you to work? So she does some guest stuff on television shows. She guests it on Charlie's Angels and she turned down the role that would eventually go to Cheryl Ladd. Really? Huh. Yeah, I... This is some great trash candy. I suspect there's more to that story. Like maybe she felt like the emphasis was too much on her looks, right? Mm. Anyway, I did not have time to dive into that rabbit hole, but I I think there is one there. Okay. Fascinating. 79, she makes her film debut in a film called Hard Country, and she meets hairstylist and makeup artist Ron Snyder on set. Huh. They fall in love. They get married. They were together for close to a decade. And boy, did that relationship have its own weirdness. So at some point, Kim Basinger instructs her husband to change his last name to something that starts with a B so that she can use her initials when she's using her married name. Oh. Because his last name was Snyder. So, (laughs) poor Ron. So, Ron, one, quits his job during the marriage, and two, becomes Ron Snyder-Britain. You're kidding (laughs) me. I'm not. He gives up his career and then gives up his identity. It is a thing women have been doing always, but it's... Anyway, they... She eventually... Just be a Lucy Stoner and keep your name. What is it, Matt? Why does... Not a clue. Why does she need to worry about if she likes KB? Georgia girl. I don't know. I've signed my initials that way since I was five years old and I'm not changing. Weird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But it was the 70s as well. Georgia girl, 70s. I, I don't know. I bet her mama had some thoughts. That's my guess. Anyway. All right. So obviously that relationship was built to last. <laughs> Go with the gist. <laughs> By the early 80s, she had landed a gig as Bond girl Domino Pitachi. Pitaki? Whatever. Opposite Sean Connery in Never Say Never Again. Oh, fantastic. The release of the film coincided with Playboy publishing a shoot they had done with her in 1981. And the combination of a highly successful movie and a high-profile Playboy spread works, it's on. works some magic on her yeah. career. A year later, she's nominated for a Golden Globe after starring with Robert Redford in The Natural. Oh, wow. 
She starred in the erotic drama Nine and a Half Weeks, which didn't do well in theaters, but was a big hit on the newfangled cable television device and the home video markets. Again, like one thing I'm learning from this podcast project is all of the ways I hadn't really realized the what we would call the content universe expanded, opening like just avenues for like people to make more stuff. Thanks, Blockbuster. <laughs> no, seriously, thank you, Blockbuster. Thanks, Blockbuster. Yeah, for I, real. Yeah. Thanks. My God, I loved that place back when that place was relevant. Okay. So Kim Basinger closes out the decade playing photojournalist Vicki Vale in Tim Burton's 1989 smash hit take on Batman. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Starred opposite Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. This movie grossed over $400 million and it remains her best earning film. Wow. She also closed out the 80s by leaving first husband Ron. Oh. <laughs> who wrote a book about their relationship afterwards and said that she had an affair with Richard Gere when they filmed No Mercy together in 86. Whoa. Kim left him for John Peters, the guy who produced Batman, and she would later date Prince. Oh, well, that's some fancy dating. Yeah. So we're going to park little Kim at the Trashy Divorces Depot for a minute and introduce our trashy contestant number two. Oh. (laughs) Alexander Ray Baldwin III. Yes, he's one of those. Was born on April 3rd, 1958. He is an Aries. In Amityville, New York. Yes, that Amityville. Son of a teacher and a football coach. There were seven kids total, so you probably won't be shocked to learn that the family is Roman Catholic. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, but back to the birth order thing. That means he is number one Uh of a gaggle. She's mid-pack of a gaggle, Mm -hmm. yeah, so... So middle and young, it it's birth order is a weird thing. Sure. Well, we may talk birth order one day. You know. Putting a pin in that. We'll do trashy birth order later on <laughs> Patreon. I don't know. Okay. So Alec played football in high school. Um, he worked as a bus boy at Studio 54 for a while. Nice. Just interesting. You know, he starts college in D.C. And then he transfers to NYU and studied acting at the Lee Strasberg Theater Institute. Uh, like you do. Like you do. Like, sure. Yeah. Like, like you, you do. do. <laughs> Natch. So, you know, he's in New York. He's acting. He gets soap opera parts early on. Okay. He played a character named Billy Aldrich on NBC's daytime soap, The Doctors, which I do not recall. But it, apparently this was his job for two years. Oh, wow. It Wh- was short-lived. CBS had one like that called Capital, okay. which was amazing. Capital was my very was favorite politics? soap opera. Yes. Oh. Set in DC, it was amazeballs. Politics is I soap opera. I loved it. And then it ended. It was like a 30-minute one. My favorite soap opera character of all time was on Capital, Sloane, with an E. I oh. thought it was the coolest name that ever had happened. Oh, except for Betsy Andropolis on As the World Turns that Meg Ryan played. Never mind. I, I think, digress. I think Sloane was also the name of Ferris Bueller's girlfriend in Ferris Bueller's oh, Day Off. Probably was. Okay. Okay. The Doctors. Soap opera actor Alec. Alec. Soap opera guy. Goes on to have a role on Knott's Landing, and that was prime really? time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, yeah. that was like another network's competition with Dallas. Yep. Okay. Okay, because back in the eighties, everything or dynasty. Oh, they, yeah, that was the thing. Everything was a soap opera. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, nineteen eighty-six, he adds Broadway to his resume, and then by eighty-eight, he had broken into film in a big way. He had parts in Beetlejuice and Working Girl, with uh, oh yeah, someone we'll hear about shortly. In 1990, The Hunt for Red October, Alec Baldwin initiated the role 
of Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan. And Jack now Ryan. that dude from The Office plays Jack Ryan in the Netflix series. Like that character has just had many iterations. Like it's a lot like James Bond. Yeah, it's um, a good character though. It is a good character. Hunt for Red October was a really good movie. That was a really good book. Yeah, my parents were huge fans. Um, yeah, I've seen the movie more recently and like holds up. Ah, yeah. nice. Good enough. Sean Connery. Sean what Connery. Is Sean? Come on. Okay. Connery. Sean Connery. <laughs> it was in 1991 that Alec Baldwin also arrived at the Trashy Divorces Depot when he starred alongside Kim Basinger in The Marrying Man. Uh, I had forgotten about that movie. Little Kim was just there waiting for him. Yeah, just at the depot. Yeah. And they were like, hey, let's. Uh, Alec Baldwin was suddenly a man in love. And apparently oh. the first time they met, because like the producers had everybody out to lunch at some restaurant in LA. The first time they met, Alec Baldwin was like, so do you want kids? And then like, I don't know, called her friends and said, I'm going to marry her. So like totally not coming on too strong or nothing. While Alec definitely came on too strong, there was also this undeniable, just sexual energy on set. Just, I mean, the tension was okay. Here's what a crew member is quoted as saying. You could feel the sexual tension between them. It was like a heat-seeking missile had been fired. Now, the problem with this is that the effect it had on set is that they would go from being, like, completely in sync to being, like, gladiator-level competitive. So this crew member goes on to say, You've read about all the tantrums, the chair throwing, the phone smashing. Living it was a hundred times worse. If Baldwin slammed a door, Basinger would slam another door harder. It was like they were two little kids having a contest to see who could be the brattiest. Wow. Importantly, Kim wasn't really into him. She was still reeling from her split with Ron and was trying to focus on her career, but Alec would not be deterred. Oh. And apparently this whole, like, do you want to have kids thing, that's his opening move because he did that with his current wife, too. Oh. Somehow it works. Sometimes. I... It's a guy who just, he runs into women and this, he ran into her in a restaurant and like he was just looking at her the whole time. They were at separate tables, making eye contact during dinner. And then when he got up to leave, he walks up to her and is like, takes her hand and is like, do you want to have kids or something, something approximately like that. I don't know the kind of girl that works on. Whoa. Uh, two of his wives, apparently. Wow. <laughs> okay. So, um. Back to, you know, the 90s, Alec convinces Kim to date him. And then I guess that works out okay. Okay. For a while. And so then Alec ups the ante and starts talking marriage. And she's like, I don't know. I don't know about marriage. And then I guess he talked her into it and she agrees. And so they get engaged in 1992 and then Kim learns that Alec has had dinner with his ex-fiancee, and so they get unengaged in no. 1992. She is quoted as telling Alec, you're history now. The wedding is out the window, which seems fair. Tossed. So they smooth things over because apparently Alec Baldwin is charming as fuck in person until you get to know him. Okay. So, you know, they, they're back together. They're not engaged. But then Kim genuinely hits a rough professional patch. So I don't know if you've seen a terrible movie called Boxing Helena. It's a pretty terrible <laughs> it's a pretty movie. Terrible movie. I saw it once back in 
like the late 90s, maybe. I missed it when it was first run. <laughs> I think everyone missed it when it was first run. Blockbuster. That's all I'm saying. I remember it being very, very bad. It was it was terrible. I mean, that that is my recollection. But of I mean, it. bad movies get made all the time. Sure. Sure. Okay, so apparently, so Mainline Pictures sued Kim because she had allegedly made a verbal agreement to star in Boxing Helena, which again, was a terrible movie. And then she had pulled out. So she said, like, no, I never, like, the more iterations of the script I saw, the more people I showed it to, the more I was like, this is terrible. This is going to be a terrible movie. Yeah, Madonna was also on the list for it as well at one point, I think. Mainline ended up winning an $8.1 million judgment against Kim Basinger. Holy cats. Which, of course, prompts her to file for bankruptcy in mid-1993. This, she appealed, ultimately, there was a settlement for a mere $3.8 million. But, like, this... There were terrible headlines about like the out of control deal making situation in Hollywood, and somehow she ended up being the bad guy here. Yeah. And like, it was just a thing. She had bought that town in Georgia, Brazelton, yeah. and she had to sell that off, and that caused a bunch of problems in her family. Like the whole thing was, it was just it was awful. It was a it was a no good, terrible, awful year for her. Wow. And who is by her side supporting oh, her mm-hmm. oldest child responsible yeah showing Stead. Uh, sitting Stead in, in his mission sitting in court every day like fending off journalists just you know being a good dude being a okay. good boyfriend well that's nice so they get married that Aww. august <laughs> like seriously she declared bankruptcy in may she lost the case in april declared bankruptcy in may married him in august that's a pretty big year yeah, I yeah. think it's one of those things where you don't make giant decisions after a big trauma. For sure. She she made a big decision after a giant trauma. It's a so. pretty big year. Okay, let's talk about the wedding. Okay. <laughs> this is so good. Total mess. Complete mess. Alec did the vast majority of the wedding planning, almost as though Kim wasn't really into getting married. He was Bridezilla? He was Bridezilla. Oh my God. He had 90 guests. <gasps> She had 10. Uh, the day of the wedding, he was so concerned that she was going to bail that he called her sister dozens of times to verify that, like, she's okay, still on so the she's way. getting dressed, she's getting her hair done, she's getting makeup, she's on her, okay, like, every 10 seconds. He That's had to check not in. weird at all. No, 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 no. She did show up. Overhead, there were four helicopters hovering to photograph the whole thing, oh, and- God. Alec's mother reported that, quote, there was a man who posed as a cop who turned out to be from the National Enquirer. It oh, my was God. a mess. <laughs> okay. So they seem really happy early on. Okay. No lie. They're a Hollywood power couple. You know, they their careers are doing great. Living the dream. They're super into each other. It's all great. It's all great. So it's amazing. Ni- yeah. 1995, you know. Baby Ireland enters the world. So it is worth pointing out that Alec Baldwin seems to have attended the Sean Penn School of Celebrity Journalist Relations. So when they bring <laughs> when they bring three-day-old Ireland home to their Los Angeles home, there's a photographer outside videotaping, you know, Alec and Kim and the baby coming, coming home. home for the first time. Right. Like, woo! Woo. Um, Alec punches the guy in the face no. and maybe breaks his nose. Oh, God. <laughs> the, um, the photographer, I'm not kidding, 
Alec Baldwin was arrested for this, but the photographer did a citizen's arrest and then called LAPD. I don't know why you don't just call the cops. Oh my God. But like there were no witnesses. So I don't think the criminal case went forward and ultimately a jury gave the photographer $4,500 in damages for his nose. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But I mean, Alec has kind of always had anger management issues and there is sort of notable incident number one in that. So for Kim's career, again, with the lawsuit and the bad headlines and then having the baby and taking time off and like there was and she she really has like lots of anxiety in life, which goes back to modeling and just being really freaked out about the whole thing. Okay. So by around 97, she is starting to think maybe it's time to to go back to work. And so she gets approached about a role in L.A. Confidential and she turns it down because <laughs> she's like, you know, I'm a new mom. I'm really enjoying being a mom. Mom stuff is good. I'm a mom. And so they come back to her and like, no, really, like you would be perfect for this movie. This movie. Because she was in it, right? She won an Oscar for Yeah, it. I'm yeah. like, wait, she started it. How did she turn it down? Turned okay. it down. She turns it down again. Oh, my God. Twice. So third time they come back to her and she's like, okay, I guess... I guess I'm going to be in your movie, get back into acting, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so 97, LA Confidential, she wins a Golden Globe Award, a Screen Actors Guild Award, and an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. Wow. Boom. It's funny, like, don't say no. (laughs) Like, the rule in life, you say yes to stuff. Yeah, just say yes. Yeah. Okay, so I wanted to include that high point because shit is about to get real. Oh, okay. By about mid-99, Kim, it, like at least to her family, was expressing that Alex, just out of control anger, was killing their marriage. And her father talked to people after she filed for divorce in January 01. And he said, I love Alec. He's the most kind and generous man I've ever known in my life. And he's overcome some very difficult things, all but one, his anger. Alec has this kind of anger where he reaches down for something that hurts, something that may have happened a year or two ago, and then abuses Kim with it. This has happened publicly, but it's when it started happening in front of Ireland that Kim finally said, well, I'm not going to put up with that. That's good. Good on you. Yeah. Seems fair. So friends of the couple noted that Kim herself was not exactly the picture of calm reason. Mm. She suffers from paralyzing anxiety, panic attacks. And has sometimes been forced to stay home, like, for months at a time because of a fear of crowds. So she's got some significant... agoraphobia, Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Oh, wow. So then there were little things that just inevitably become gargantuan over time. So Alec bought this huge Hamptons house, and that was where he wanted their primary... Like, he, he grew up on Long Island. He wanted Long Island to be his home. Kim likes L.A., did not want to move to New York... And apparently the idea of, like, decorating a second home just tweaked all of her anxiety. Like, she just couldn't, she couldn't do it. Okay. So, so they didn't, they didn't stay. He had, like, a $1.7 million house in the Hamptons. And All right. In her divorce filing, she called Alec a tin-pot tyrant and bully who oh. suffered serious mood swings. Both said the other drank too much. Probably true. Most importantly, both insisted that Ireland, the daughter, would be better off with them, and neither was willing to budge one inch on that. Alec is quoted as telling Kim, this is so, like, comic book villain funny, don't think I'm just going to roll over. 
Ireland's better off with me. We both know that. To which comic book villain Kim responded, you'll never get her. Not while I'm breathing. This is amazing stuff. It's a screen. I mean, it's a movie. It's a movie. They're acting out. Yes. Yeah. So pre-trial report is made Mm. that claims Miss Basinger lived in an emotionally and physically abusive marriage for 10 years and alleges that Alec got drunk one time, flew into a rage and beat her. And like Alec strenuously denies that his brother, Billy, came forward and was like, look, my brother's a lot of things, but he is not a wife beater. Like just he no. So, I mean, who knows the truth of that? Lots of things get said in a divorce. So neighbors of the couple were all too happy to spill about the fights they had seen in public. Oh, no. Typically involve... Alex screaming at her in coffee shops and restaurants <laughs> while she sits there with her head down and takes it like just gross. Yeah. You wonder why she, uh, hightailed it out of there. Yeah. Caught her midnight train from Georgia. Yeah, right. So geography definitely factored into the wild custody battle that would follow because obviously Ireland and Kim were living in LA and Alec mostly wanted to live in the Hamptons. So, you know, he, He's super rich. One of his big complaints is that he had to buy a home in California in order to stay involved with his kid. Go find find a home, dude. Yeah, I... Yeah. These are really sad, sad rich people problems. Yeah, and like stuff goes really badly in this case, don't get me wrong, but I just... He's worth $65 or something, and I know he was not always worth that much, but... You can afford a home on both coasts. Also, it benefits your career. Until to have your kid turns 18. A home and on both coasts. Yeah, you have a place to... Yeah. A crummy or sad, sad <laughs> river, Alec Baldwin. Okay. In O2, they reached a series of agreements related to Ireland's custody. Alec agreed to get anger management counseling, <laughs> to enroll in parenting classes... That is a healthy, good first step. And to only make phone calls to Ireland in a couple of set windows each day. He was not allowed to call Kim at all unless there was an emergency. And she agreed to install a private line into Ireland's bedroom with an answering machine on it. He paid for both. She was also supposed to summarize Ireland's activities into a weekly email to Alec. Perfect. And under court order, Alec then had 48 hours to respond to the email with any, quote, reasonable inquiries. Wow. This is what happens when adults are not adulting appropriately. Oh, not at all adulting. Additionally, Kim's nanny was officially prohibited from monitoring the conversations between daddy and daughter, as apparently Kim had been making her do. Oh, God. too. Okay, so just a bit of color because I love this detail. So once they're through this, like 0304... Kim sells every piece of jewelry that Alec Baldwin ever gave her, including her engagement ring, and gave the proceeds to the Performing Animal Welfare Society. Pause. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. (sighs) 2004. Holy cat, this story is... It's so good. Amazing. Alec goes back to court to complain. This is so... Oh my god, seriously. I'm this must have been awful for everyone involved. Also, just gonna laugh my ass off about it. Not funny then. Funny now. Not funny now for them, I'm guessing, but okay, so oh four, Alec goes back to court, complains that he was banned from Ireland's eighth birthday party at Kim's house, even though Ireland wanted him there. Ah 
He also, he complained that he, this is so gross, he had had to get a court order in order to take, you know, seven or eight-year-old Ireland to the premiere of his film, The Cat in the Hat, which oh. is a children's movie. Sure. So they're just going to bicker, 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 bicker. Everything. I, uh, Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like she has. Buy a new coffee. It's just exhausting. Yeah. She you has. can't buy a new kid, but you can comp. Don't. Well, yeah. Don't use your physical custody of the kid to be like, no, your father can't take you to the children's movie he starred in and maybe took the part in because he thought it would be cool to go to the premiere with you. Like, <laughs> uh, Wow. Oof. Okay. October 06. We are nearly to the end of this, I promise. All right. Alec hit a breaking point, the first of a couple that would matter around this time, Mm. and had Kim brought up on a dozen counts of contempt of court, arguing that she had repeatedly obstructed his parental access. His lawyer argued over and over, Miss Basinger demonstrates that her resentments are more precious to her than the emotional well-being of her child. She wrote that Kim had, quote, so contaminated this child that she now doesn't even want to be with her father. It is clear she has started a war. But let's jump ahead a few months. Oh my God. Okay. To 2007. Sure. Where we learned that those anger management classes that Alec has been taking have not had much impact on him. Oh no. It is April 2007. And at the prearranged time for the daddy-daughter phone call, Oh God. Alec calls from New York to Los Angeles to talk to his daughter, who is then 11, And he got the answering machine. He starts yelling, quote, You are a rude, thoughtless little pig. You don't have the brains or the decency as a human being. I don't give a damn that you're 12 years old or 11 years old or that you're a child or that your mother is a thoughtless pain in the ass who doesn't care about what you do as far as I'm concerned. Stop yourself. (laughs) Once again, I have made an ass of myself trying to get to a phone. You have humiliated me for the last time with this phone. Oh, my God. He then threatened to fly out to Los Angeles to straighten this out. She <laughs> To straighten her out, I guess. It's 11. Like, Maybe she's in the bathroom. Or... Maybe you say, hey, it's dead. It's like downstairs talking to a friend on the house phone. Why or... don't you give me a call back when you get the message? Go- okay. So to be clear, because this was obviously a huge story when it happened. I can't even breathe after that. Yeah. You don't say those things to an 11-year-old child. No. Uh, But to be clear, from Ireland's point of view, nothing really out of the ordinary had happened here. So years later, she would tell Page... Because my dad leaves me messages like that every day. Years later, she told Page Six, quote, he said stuff like that before just because he's frustrated. For me, it was like, okay, whatever. I called him back. I was like, sorry, dad. I didn't have my phone. That was it. From Kim's perspective, however, she had just struck gold, and a week or so later, TMZ had this tape. Yeah. And the story was absolutely everywhere. Alex's visitation was rescinded. He just went into a tailspin, threatened to quit 30 Rock, and he was going to leave acting altogether. He swore he was never going to marry again because the wounds from his divorce and this years-long custody fight were too deep. He said he'd rather put his hand into a wood chipper. Cry me a wood chipper. You're joking. I'm not. I'm not. He did say that. He would rather put his hand into a wood chipper than get married again. Okay. So so Alec Baldwin's in a bad way. So perhaps as a method of self-healing, he wrote a book called A Promise to Ourselves, which purports to share the story of Kim's systematic efforts to keep him out of Ireland's life, a tactic known as parental alienation. 
And this is a real thing, and it does seem like Kim engaged in some of it. And eventually, the scandal blew over. Life for all three of the Baldwin slash Basingers kind of found some measure of normalcy. Yeah, And Alec even fell in love again and thrust his hand right into that wood chipper. Into the wood chipper! So in 2012, he married yoga teacher... Hilaria Thomas. That is spelled Hilaria, and it is my favorite name in the world. We're calling her Hilaria on Trashy Tidbits, Mm -hmm. just FYI. She honestly seems super awesome. She's 26 years his junior, but like, she just seems super awesome. He, do you want to have kids? He had to get someone younger. Oh, God. She did. They have four children. And most recently, unfortunately, um, Hilaria has taken on the highly unenviable task of becoming a public voice for women and families who've gone through miscarriage. Oh. She's had two this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's terrible. Yeah, that's, I mean, she had one, like, this month. It's really, it's rough. It's terrible. So, Alec's relationship with Ireland seems to have worked itself out as well. In September, she roasted her father on a Comedy Central special, and here are a few of the jokes she dropped on her pops. There okay. was some great writing involved in this. It hasn't been easy being the daughter of an iconic movie star, but I'm not here to talk about my mother no. or, or her Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be here. I almost didn't even know about it because I haven't checked my voicemails from my dad from the last 12 years or something. Oh. He was a great dad. I still remember when he would tuck me in and yell me a bedtime story. No. My absolute favorite and his favorite, the three little thoughtless pigs. Oh, God. A lot of people only know my dad as an angry guy, but he's more than some lunatic who loses his temper. He also loses Emmys and Oscars and custody of his firstborn. Oh, my God. (laughs) It seems to have gone well. She's a, a model, and I think she does some acting and... Anyway, it's like she's having the life you would expect of the child of Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. Kim Basinger, sure. While Kim Basinger has opted not to marry again, she is said to have been involved with hairstylist Mitch Stone since 2014. She talked to E! Online about how her taste in men has changed over the years and how bad boys don't hold much appeal anymore. Quote, showing kindness and humor are the most important things to me now. If you have those qualities, then I think that makes you attractive. So I have to say, as much as I hate to learn all this trash about people I basically like, this is like what this podcast is about. Oh my God, that was high octane <laughs> trash Trashy candy. divorces. Like man. I thought I'd put together some high octane trash candy with, the, that was amazing. This well is, it done. was, I did not know when, when you broached this, that this was going to be such a wild ride through. Just How many trash cans? I gave this five flaming trash cans. First like heat I, is on. Yeah, the, I, I mean, no, no contest. Yeah, it honestly, the fact that these people have enough money to continue being at war with each other for years makes everything like that's another of the morals here of of the story is like enough money just makes this stuff unbelievably horrible, and that is what happened here. <laughs> That's a hell of a trashy divorce. Yeah. A plus. So there we go. Baldwin Basinger, bad. (laughs) It's all the initials you need to know. (sighs) Let's take a break. Wow. Back in a moment. Heat still on. 
Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project, an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. All right, Alicia, you have another set of hits from the 80s. Greatest hits. I got a hell of a love story between... But that's not what we're here for. (laughs) (laughs) Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson. A love story between these two. There's a love story with all kinds of other people, too. I hope that y'all saved room for seconds on your plate full of trash candy because it's our Juicy Holiday podcast episode. All right, you ready? Melanie is a Leo girl. She's born August 9th, 1957. She's the daughter of Tippi Hedren, who is the manic pixie dream girl of Alfred Hitchcock. Okay. Vanity Fair says it best from a piece in 1989 by Jesse Cornbluth. So I'm just going to quote here, talking about Melanie. She is Tippi Hedren's daughter, and in Hollywood, that has a meaning everyone understands. For Hedren was Alfred Hitchcock's most hapless victim, a model whose blonde hair and cool sexuality made her ideal for humiliation. After signing this neophyte actress to an exclusive seven-year contract, Hitchcock ordered new clothes for her, put her on a different diet, pressured her to dump her friends. He moved on to recommend martinis during their rehearsals for The Birds. On the set, as his passion escalated, he stared at her or whispered sexual hints. And then, a field day for Freudians, put her in a cage for an entire week of fighting off live birds. Hedron collapsed. But because she was divorced and had a child to support, she couldn't afford to quit. Hitchcock rewarded her spunk with the lead in Marnie. This time, he had her trailer set directly next to his bungalow. Late in the filming, the 65-year-old Hitchcock finally pounced. Hedren rebuffed him. Thereafter, for the duration, he called her, quote-unquote, that girl. Hmm. His final revenge was to sabotage his film in the editing room, concocting a certain failure so he could ruin her career. Vanity Fair continues. (laughs) In the middle of Hedron's two-year Hitchcock horror story, her daughter had a birthday. Right on cue, the director had a present for six-year-old Melanie. It was a doll of her mother, dressed as her character in The Birds, and set in a miniature pine box. This was more than one of the (laughs) maestro... I can't. This is more than one of the maestro's macabre pranks. It was a blunt reminder to Tippi Hedren and her child that the man who provided the family income had the power of life and death. 
Melanie Griffith, no dummy, promptly learned to hate the movies. Good lord. <laughs> she gets her dead mother in a box. in a box. She wants a unicorn. It's her fourth birthday, the did sixth you say? Birthday, sixth birthday, yeah. Oh my god. She wants a unicorn. She gets a dead mom effigy. Fuck. In a, a, Alfred Hitchcock Okay, I knew none of that. Up. I knew none of that. I put that in because I want you to know from the type of background Melanie Griffith rises emerges from from. yeah okay so she's worldly and wise melanie starts working at the tender age of nine months old like her parents had split when she was four she's mostly raised by her mom it's kind of traumatic for her like mom gets all of her stuff together and they leave the only home she's known melanie attends a private school called the hollywood professional school this is for kids wanting to be in show business so they study in the morning and work in the afternoon So they can add stuff to their resume. Mm -hmm. She ends up doing great, like skipping a grade. She's mostly with her mom, but visiting her dad and his new wife as well with her step-siblings in New York. So it's this bi-coastal childhood. Right. At 10, Melanie is going to start her long affair with with the stuff, with addiction. Oh, 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 I thought. With the stuff. <laughs> you were like, with the movies. No, with okay. the with the stuff. Okay. In this case, uh, when it starts at 10, it's liquor. So she would drink wine, and she says it was, quote, like a soft drink. I was medicating myself so I could escape my pain and insecurities. In this same Vanity Fair piece, she talks about turning to substances instead of help. And she says, I was never loved unconditionally. Booze gives you a feeling, a physical sensation, a buzz inside your body that takes the place of something you should have had when you were a child. So let's pause Sweet Melanie with the cocktail on the depot for a minute and talk about Don. Old Don. Donnie Johnson. December 15th, baby, 1949. He's a Sag. Hang tight on that for a second. Okay. Don is from humble beginnings. His dad is a farmer, a carpenter, an electrician. Like, his dad's Jesus. Like, he does whatever he can. His family's poor, so dad will work doing anything. And mom is a beautician. His mom, Nell, is 17. His dad, Wayne Fred, is 19 when he is born. So, parents who... I, no Oops. Cl- yeah, yeah, no clue what they're doing. Right. And trying to get by. Uh Don is raised mostly in Wichita, Kansas, and in high school he gets involved in the high school theater. Yeah, Natch. He plays Tony in West Side Story, graduates in 1967. Donnie does a year at the University of Kansas, but drops out and heads to where it's all happening in the late 60s, San Francisco. Okay, I was like, Reno, Nevada? (laughs) Where are we going here? Well, he may have stopped on the way to Reno. So Don marries his first wife Mm. and divorces his first wife in Mm. 1968. He's going to marry his second wife in 1973 and divorce her in 1973. Wow. Each of these marriages lasts no more than a few days. Like, they're done. His wives' names are not released publicly, but they are said to have respectively been a dancer and a rich bimbo. Okay. He loves not wisely, but too well. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Set the gun on the stage right there. Okay. The setting is 1972. And 
Let's talk about what happens when a Leo and Sag get together. Two fire signs. Leo is a fixed, Sag is mutable. So the fire signs are always going to be warm for each other. Uh, When they first start dating, their sexual relationship might be kind of a surprise. They're going to feel liberated with each other. They would do well to build up each other's self-esteem, especially if they have been in demanding or disrespectful relationships prior to getting together. Sex life is going to be 100% passion, heat, fire. They... So the heat is on. The is heat what you're is saying. on. Okay. Like it's it's a it's a good fiery combination. It's like a heat seeking missile has been fired. Here's the deal. This is where it may go wrong. Sag might lose interest in Leo because Leos are very um static. They have a fixed nature. You're never gonna change a fixed sign. They're just gonna do what they're gonna do. Whereas mutable signs all about change. They have to, okay, these two are totally great when they work. When they don't work, it goes really badly. Just put it that way. Okay. Let's find out happen. Let's, let's find out what happens with these two. Okay. So our young couple meets in 1972. And eight years between a couple doesn't sound like a lot, unless you're 14 and he's 22. Whoa. Oh, that's a crime today. Don Johnson at the time, is dating Pamela DeBar, the legendary groupie who has made it through her own Rock and Roll Music Hall of Fame, recounted, if y'all want to delve down that trash candy hole, in her first memoir, I'm With the Band. Actors aren't really her thing. She's a musician kind of No, he's cute, though. She says Don was worth the detour. She recalls, that guy was a hunk of burning love, a sex god. That's... Sag. Sag men are Sag men. So Don at 22 is it's like starring. A subset of our captive husband listeners who were just like, mm hmm. Yep. Yeah, I am. Yep. Yeah, I am. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's something to, like, never mind. Don is on the set of one of Tippy's movies and enter. Of for- Tippy. Okay, so mom, not. Mom. Okay. Yeah. Enter 14 year old Melanie Griffith. Of the chipmunk cheeks and the big girl strut, took one look at Johnson and didn't care that somebody was already tucking him in. She just went, I want him. Wow. They wow. move in together. What? When she's 15. What? They have a nice little house in Laurel Canyon. What is with the 60s and 70s? Don actually, so Melanie has modeled up until this point. And Don's the one, you wonder why. Like, I'm never going to be an actress. Thanks, Alfred Hitchcock. But Don gets Melanie into acting, sets her up with a thing that she thinks is a modeling gig, but it's for a part in Night Moves. And she's modeling at the time, and acting doesn't impress her much, but it'll get some bills paid. It's not ever what she intended on doing. They get engaged when she turns 18. They get married. In January of 1976, they fly to Las Vegas. They get married at the Silver Bell Chapel at 11 in the morning in blue jeans. The cab driver was the witness. That was probably like the third one he had witnessed that day, too. Yeah. Melanie says, I don't think my parents were too pleased. So the souvenir, this is the best story of their marriage, is a tattoo of a pear on her butt. 
They had been to Paris together, and it was fashionable at the time to call your boyfriend Pear. It's the French word for father. And Melanie's like, it was a slang thing. Don is most assuredly not my dad, but right. we're in Paris. We're fucked up. Oh, everybody, oh, sure. you're my pear. Huh? Mm-hmm. So she puts a tattoo of a of pear, a pear. fruit mm-hmm. on her butt. Okay. okay. This marriage. Inside joke. Exactly. You want to guess? Take any guesses on how long this marriage lasts? Six I- months. Oh, I was going to say 10 years. Okay, six months. Six months. They're divorced in July. So this is his pattern. He just... just done and done. Marries them and leaves them. Sex God. <laughs> I mean, they're love-struck and innocent, but in the mid-70s, they're both young. Right, right. right. Stupid young. Well, it's his third time around, so he's less young. But want to guess what else they were doing? Drugs? Drugs! Oh, drugs! Oh, drugs! Illegal substances, lots of boozing. And she is having some success and focusing on her career. This is like six months done. And Don is getting around a lot. So he dates Sally Adams, who is Telly Savalas' girlfriend, who is also the mother of Nicolette Sheridan. Sybil Shepard writes in her autobiography that she and Don uh, tussled a little while. Don Johnson actually lives with Patty de Arbonville from 1981 to 1985. They have a son together as well, but they do not marry. Well, yeah, they were together for years. For about four (laughs) years. Couldn't marry. Okay, listen to de Arbonville talk about this. January 17th, 1981. She meets Don Johnson at an L.A. restaurant. She says, I saw this gorgeous guy and I ran after him saying, hey, you. It turned out to be Donnie. I said, so Donnie, how many times you been married? He said, three. I said, say hello to number four. Oh, my God. Don Johnson ditches his do you date. Want, do you want kids? <laughs> <laughs> Wait on it. You don't even know how funny that punchline's about to be. So Don Johnson ditches his date, Tanya Tucker. Oh, my God. And spends the night with Patty. Hmm. One month later, Patty's pregnant. Oh, my God. Couple plans to marry that fall, but Patty changes her mind. She says, I didn't see the point. Besides, there were areas in which we didn't get along. Drinking was one of them. Patty sobers up after getting pregnant. Donnie didn't, she says. Can I just say I really appreciate that about Patty? Yeah. That's a really smart plan. Prenatal health. Don does not sober up. Don does eventually stop drinking with D'Arbonville's help. Miami Vice takes Don Johnson to Florida in 1984 and Patty and Don split in 1985. Yeah, well, I can imagine his circumstances changed considerably. Oh, he's like the king of Miami. Yeah, no, he's like the king of the world. I mean. Yeah, so he will continue to play uh, Sonny Crockett Mm -hmm. on Miami Vice until 1989. And oh, don't forget, I don't know if you even remember this. Don't forget about his albums, too. Oh, this does ring a bell. Oh, my God. His video heartbeat from 1986 is worth the watch of the video alone. <laughs> well, let's put that on the web if we can. We, yeah, we should. Okay. okay. So Melanie, Leo girl, is going to have some dalliances of her own. Melanie Griffith has acknowledged past flings with Jack Nicholson, Warren Beatty, and Ryan O'Neill. She says, I did have a little thing with those three back in the day. Yeah, they were awesome. I'm friends with all of them pretty much. I'm sure there's a couple I've forgotten about. (laughs) 
by 1981. Melanie has found love again. Mary Stephen Bauer, a Cuban-American actor. They have a son. Things are going fine. What year is this? 1981. When did when were they married? 1976. But they're coming around again on the guitar. Okay, gotcha. All right. Okay, so her 80s are going a little differently than his 80s. And then, okay. And now, yeah, they're going to get back together. Gotcha. Getting to the point of the story of there's a reason why you broke up. Mm. But, okay. 1981. She has married Stephen Bauer. By 88, she's landed the role of Tess McGill in Mike Nichols' film, Mick the Nick, Working Girl. Mm Mm-hmm. Turns out to be her most successful and prominent one. Earns her an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress mm-hmm. and wins her Golden Globe. And Alec Baldwin plays her boyfriend, her cheating boyfriend in that movie. Well, she claims she tried to be romantic with him on the set and the actor wouldn't go there with her. Maybe she didn't want to have kids. <laughs> <laughs> Opening move. Hmm. Bold play. Also on the set, Melanie's showing up drunk. And Mike Nichols is like, hey, we need to talk. Then he kind of sets her straight on getting through the movie and you need to get some help. She says, I wasn't concerned for my future. She is turning to substances to calm her anxieties and fill a void that has been there since she got her mom's effigy right. in a coffin. Her, her mom's, yeah, her mom's corpse. Her, okay. Well, fake corpse. Her, so, her mom's Hitchcock bad. corpse in a coffin. Happy birthday, kid. You're going to go far. Raise a manic pixie dream girl for the new generation. Here's some Alfred Hitchcock. Here's some dead birds you can throw at it, too. <laughs> They're very fertile. <laughs> Jesus. So Melanie is spiraling And she and Steven have fizzled out and they're done and divorced by like 1989. Her addiction is the death knell for the relationship, although they try to keep it together for their kid. Melanie says, what I did was drink myself to sleep at night. If I wasn't with someone, I was an unhappy girl. So she spirals further. She's alone. She's not been single since she was 14. She does not know how to operate machinery (laughs) being her own soulmate so what does she do she reaches out oh no she gets she gets drunk no don't drunk dial the x drunk dials the x damn it don at this point has been clean for like five years don convinces her to go to rehab okay this is actually good this is a yeah like this is a this is a good end ish until they divorce again but this is a good beginning to drunk texting your ex. Okay. So she finds a lot of comfort in him. She knows she can rely on him no matter. Like, I, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just rolled my eyes. For she. The, <laughs> for the listeners. In rehab realizes that she has an addictive personality. She's lucky to be alive. I mean, that's just what they tell you in rehab, though, you know? Well, <laughs> kidding, despite kidding. feeling disconnected from the people she meets in the facility, she's like, I was never as bad as some of the people I knew. I did a lot of drinking and other substances. I just thought I was having a good time. She makes it through rehab. Actress has a totally new lease on life. 
She's seeing the world through sober eyes, newfound joy. She's a better mom. She and Don are back on full swing once she gets out of the Hazelden Addiction Treatment Center in Minnesota. They reunite more in love than ever. They remarry June of 1989. Their daughter, Dakota, is born in October of 1989. Melanie says, Don and I were imprinted on each other. It was sort of a natural karmic thing for us to get back together and have Dakota. She was meant to come into the world, if you think about it. Years later, when they're interviewed talking about that six-month marriage in 1976, they laugh. They're like, we don't remember why we got divorced. That's why we got married again. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so here's the... Sweet summer child. Here's sweet summer child. Okay, she says in Vanity Fair. This is before they get married for the second time. I feel my life's become a fairy tale with true love at the end and the two of us as the most fortunate people around. It's like it was destined. Don was my first love and he's still my love, my best friend, my man, my partner. I've never had that ease, that specialness with anyone else. And we both feel that way. It just keeps getting better and better. I really like this thought, <laughs> rebounding from that, um, because she's now eight months clean, right? She says, in the eight months I've been clean, I've had to deal with things I've never had to deal with before. So, yeah, there's pain, and you drink to stop that. If you're straight, you may have a good day, and the next day may be bad, but when you're an active alcoholic, every day is good. It's just the worst kind of good. I thought, like, there's something. Yeah, that's, like, a, that's a very wise. It's just the worst kind of good. Don says, my worst day sober is a million times better than my best day high. You don't know that when you're drinking. You fight it. You're fucked, but you fight it. You know in wars when the opposition surrenders, they're given a lot of things in compensation. I surrendered and this is what God has done for me. I still have this devil on my shoulder who goes, you've been so good. You can have one glass of wine and I can't deny it. Sometimes I do want that glass. She's going to go to rehab two more times. Like, this is a lifelong yeah. struggle. But there was something in that quote that I just found awesome. Mm -hmm. This marriage, this time around, does last longer. Although there are many drunken public outbursts from her, rumors of infidelity on Don's part. By March of 1994, they separate, only to reconcile, only to separate again. In May of 1995, and finally divorced again for the second time in 1996. So about seven years the second time around? Yeah. Okay. So he's he's finally learning how to have a more than one year long marriage. Uh, you know what? He gets better. So let's talk about, <laughs> okay. let's talk about uh, after they divorce, sure. what, what happens. Don, uh, divorce doesn't hold Don down too much. He's a sex god. And he hooks up with Barbara Streisand after this, which lasts until September of 1988. Don is then briefly engaged to Jody Lynn O'Keefe, who plays his daughter on his next show, Nash Bridges. Oh, Nash Bridges. I forgot about that. Yeah. And there you go. Don like, did I, not. I know he's been, he's worked after Miami Vice. Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, he also does this special for WWE, too. Like, there's so many trashy tidbits. Okay. He does not marry Jody Lynn. They did not walk down the aisle. In April of 1999, 
Don marries San Francisco socialite and Montessori nursery school teacher, Kelly Flegler, who at the time was 30. So a little younger than him. Yeah. They get married at the Pacific Heights mansion of Ann and Gordon Getty. Don's best man is Robert Wagner. Okay. Interesting choice. Mayor Willie Brown presides over the ceremony. Don and his wife, Kelly, have three children together and will be celebrating 20 years of marriage this year. Good for them and how unexpected. So fifth time was the charm for Don Johnson. So our fair Melanie, what (laughs) happens with her? She meets Antonio Banderas. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yes, she does. On the set of a little film called Too Much, T-W-O, Much, in 1995, Antonio Banderas is born the day after Melanie. He's an August 10th baby, 1960. So another fire. This episode is burned alive. <laughs> Everybody's a fucking fire sign. He's a little bit younger in 1960, but there's an instant connection. No matter that he's married and she still is too, although she's probably separated at this point, it's a love affair. It's on. He divorces, she divorces. They get married in May of 1996. Melanie gets his name tattooed on her right arm. Always, always a good, wise thing to do. Well, it's a little more visible than the pear tattoo on her butt. So this certainly will be the marriage that lasts. I mean, it's I'm showing my tattoo Mm -hmm. now, right? They have a child, Stella, in September of 1996. Things are great for a long time. For the first few years of their marriage, this is what I found fascinating. Melanie and Antonia make the decision to keep their finances separate. Melanie's already been married twice before. He's been married He may be the love of her life, but let's be smart about it. So the couple, whatever they make individually from 1996 to 2004 is completely separate. Right. There's no mixing of the money. Well, California is a community property state, right? So they just aren't creating community property. Correct. Yeah, they don't don't mix their shit. Yeah. In the year 2000, Melanie has a relapse. This time Antonio is there. This time it's prescription painkillers. She gets clean, causes some tension in their relationship, but they're stronger than they ever have been before. And by 2004, their love is so strong, they'll combine their finances. Why? (laughs) Eight years on? Why would you do that? I don't know. They do. Which, just like that tattoo on your arm and combining your, like, the writing's on the wall. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it takes a little bit longer. It takes another 10 years. By June of 2014. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was thinking like by, you know, 09, they were out, but okay. No, I just, like, I, it's weird to me. You don't sign a prenup eight years after you've been married. And if you, I, okay. Yeah. By June of 2014, Melanie files for divorce after 18 years of marriage. Porter Magazine publishes an interview with Melanie who opens up about the recent divorce. She says, I think a part of the reason my marriage to Antonio fell apart was because I was stuck. Nobody else is to blame. It's just that I personally got stuck and I won't let that happen again. I want to enjoy life. I want to do whatever I want to do. 
what she's up to now. She's pretty says she's pretty shy with men. She hangs out a lot with her friends who totally on trashy tidbits this week. One of her new BFFs, I'm not lying, is Chris Kardashian. Just, I can't make just it nope. up. Just nope. Antonio and Melanie are still good friends. Uh, she's four failed marriages, mothering children. Melanie admits to feeling very pessimistic about future relationships and claiming more than ever she just wants to make it on her own. Tie that. Sorry to interrupt, but to tie this back to the Kathy Griffin story that we did, your Chris Jenner comment. Kathy Griffin was having dinner with Chris Jenner and Melanie Griffith when she found out that the Trump photo had gone viral. It is so crazy. Like this is the spider's webby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Melanie is asked, "What is her best advice for women learning how to be single and make it on their own? Don't get married. There's no need. You don't need to get married to have a child anymore." It's not like there's a stigma on the child in getting married. You either go through the whole bullshit of a prenuptial, or if you want to get divorced, then you don't have a prenuptial, then wish you had a prenuptial. (laughs) Melanie reveals she's serious about following through with her advice. She intends on never tying the knot again. Hand in a wood chipper. (laughs) Why not enjoy the other person, have a good time, and do whatever? Live together, don't live together, but marriage seems archaic to me. I don't think it's relevant for anyone anymore, but especially if you're 60 and you have four kids and you're living the life you've always wanted, then why get married? It's like, I'd love to fall in love and have a romance, a relationship, but I haven't. I keep looking. I've had a couple of lovers, but not a relationship. She doesn't want to try dating apps. She thinks they're tacky. She says she can find someone on her own. But if you know of anybody, please tell me. I don't know. This whole story was amazing. So married when they're babies, break up, remarry again, break up only to... So trashy. There's a reason why you break up. Happy they have their child. Oh, sure. Awesome. No, I mean... She's an actress, too. What would have been sort of icing on the cake is if the second marriage had also lasted six months. Like (laughs) (laughs) For him, the fifth time was the charm, and after four for her, she says no more. As trashy divorces go, in the court battle-wise, like the (sighs) trashy part is her struggling to overcome her addiction and not being able to date someone who's not a fucking fire sign. So... (laughs) Still pretty much on fire, but I still, I think less trash cans than yours. I'm going to go a solid four. Okay. Solid four. That seems good. With a turkey sandwich left over on fire. Can we give Alfred Hitchcock um, a week full of trash cans in a cage? Pelting him. (laughs) Fertile, fertile trash cans in a cage. God, that's the trashy divorces of Melanie Griffith and Don Johnson. Yeah. Woo. That's so good. I had no idea that she was Hollywood royalty. Oh, yeah. It's really funny. I also had no idea that Don Johnson was from Wichita. (laughs) Humble origins, man. And that wraps up another educational and trash candy filled week on Trashy Divorces. Yeah. Hey, this week on Patreon, so freaking excited. It is my uh, JFK assassination week. Tuesday, I have an episode with everything It's a bonus trashy divorce. It's true crime adjacent and it's a side chick. The 
Listeners, you have to make your own tinfoil hats for this. I'm afraid we don't supply them. Mary Pinchot Meyer is my Tuesday story. It's everything you could want in a Tuesday up Wednesday. I'm continuing the JFK theme with the side piece of this week, Judith Very Baker, who was the side piece of Lee Harvey Oswald, who most assuredly did not kill John F. Kennedy. Because it's the anniversary of JFK's dirty murder this week, it's the whole Patreon arc. And I can't wait. Yeah. And please keep sending us your uh, your trashy divorces or your parents' trashy divorces. Oh, yeah. Or Listener letters. Your best friend's trashy divorce or... Yeah. Coming up for a special Thanksgiving yeah, drop. Because we want you to have a happy Thanksgiving. So we're going to give you content that you can stick in your head instead of your family. <laughs> Don't stick your family in your head. No. Don't do that. Y'all, happy Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Thank you, as always, for putting us in your ears. Gobble, gobble. We are so thankful for all of you. Yeah, that's true. And from our trashy home to yours, a very happy Thanksgiving. Gobble, gobble. Save some room for trash candy. Keep it turkey. (laughs) And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at carbonmade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram. And definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there and thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.